You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Uh, today, we're going to conclude, this is part four of our series, Relationship Status, and uh, we're going to focus on a topic that is, I think, in some cases, overused, overstated, but also is in sometimes not stated enough. So depending on where you're at, depending on the circles you're in, many times this word is thrown around without recognizing what it is fully and what it isn't, especially from a biblical perspective. Can I just say, as a Christian, uh, as a follower of Jesus, that's what it means to be a Christian, not just that I go to a church or not that I just check a box on a, uh, on a census saying this is my religious affiliation, but being a Christian means I follow Jesus. It means that I have a relationship with Jesus, that I've given my life to him and he's made me brand new. Uh, That's what a relationship with Jesus does. It transforms your life, gives you not only a home in heaven, but a purpose on planet earth to fulfill his his call to to reach the world, to impact the world and use our unique God-given gifts and purpose to fulfill his will in our lives. And uh, I think as we build our relationships, we should always go back to the word of God as the standard, as the blueprint, as the uh, as the the baseline, the foundation for everything else we do and everything else we build. Uh, One day Jesus is going about, he's teaching the word, he's healing the sick, and he's also casting out demons. And uh, one of the things about religious people is they get upset, you know, when whenever God moves outside of their uh, maybe practice or uh, comfort zone or even tradition sometimes, tradition's not bad, except when it gets in the way of what God's actually doing and what God wants to do. And so Jesus is casting out demons. They actually get so mad at Jesus, the religious crowd, that they say he's casting out demons by the devil. Like he's using the devil's power to cast out devils, like he's actually doing that. Some of you are saying, what does this have to do with relationships? Well, maybe there's some demons and he get cast. No, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but, but here's what Jesus actually does in response to this idea that he's using demonic power to cast out demons. He says, every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And every house divided against itself cannot stand. That's actually in Mark chapter three, verse 25. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And as we talk about relationships, this principle is absolutely vital because the word that I said some overuse is the word unity. And the message title today, if you're taking notes, is a house united, a house united. Through this series, we've looked at several things. We've looked at uh, some keys, the very first week that help us to have better, real, better, authentic relationships. Week two, we talked about communication and how vital it is to have communication, healthy, life-giving, and I gave some real practicals that day. If you missed that, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because I think communication is the lifeblood of every relationship. As a pastor, if I can just get a couple talking again, many times there's hope to see God restore what is broken or hurting. Communication is absolutely essential to our relationships. Uh, It helps us to get on the same page. In fact, it's vital to what we're talking about today and in the subject of unity. Uh, But but here's, last week we looked at, we talked about how to date well and all those things, but the real heart of last week uh, was essentially this, that we would recognize that we would uh, not only see the value in our relationships, but also recognize that we would live by values, that we would determine who we are. In fact, when we get to the subject of unity, here's when unity is not. It's first of all, it's not being the same. 
So, so how many have been married for longer than a year? If you're married in the room, raise your hand. You've been married for longer than a year. I don't have to ask you if you are different than your spouse. And even those that have similar personalities, you have similarities, similar interests, similar uh, things that you like to do together, that's, that's good, that's important, but, but you're still not the same. Like you're, you're very different, you're different people, uh, you're wired differently, uh, how many know your spouse thinks differently than you? And it's just true, not only in marriage, but in every area of life that people are different. And as I told you earlier in this series, your differences don't have to be a deficit. They don't have to, in fact, God wants our differences to actually be what complements, strengthens us, and grows us. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, one man sharpens another. Uh, there's some things that just simply go together, like peanut butter and jelly. Come on, somebody. Macaroni and cheese. But then I found out my wife likes something that is apparently a Midwest thing, but I'm just gonna be honest with you. Can I just be totally transparent and real? I think it sounds disgusting. Chili and cinnamon rolls do not belong together. I will say that. I know it's not a popular opinion. My wife and I will agree to disagree on that, uh, but I've never heard of that until moving to Iowa. <laughs> Unity, I've already lost half the room. It's okay. <laughs> Unity is not being the same. And unity, can I just take it a step further? Unity is actually not always agreeing. And that may seem a little odd because it seems like you have to have agreement for unity. And that is true in some cases and in many cases, especially in marriage. But here's the reality. Some people don't even agree with themselves from moment to moment. How are we gonna agree with those closest to us on every issue, on everything? On e so, so that's, I'm, I'm gonna help us identify what is essential if it's not always agreeing. Because I can just tell you, in a church, uh, uh, even of this size, and the people who are coming to this church, there are, for every person in this house, in this church, in this room, uh, every relationship represented, there are, are hundreds of opinions of different ways of looking at things. And, and, and it's important that we recognize that for there to be unity, there's actually certain things that will bring us together, will unite us, even if we don't always agree on everything. Now, uh, how many, when you were kids, you played uh, Red Rover? Red Rover, Red Rover. Uh, I, I would not say send Nick right over because he'd plow right through my arms and he would win that game. Uh, the whole point of, if you never played Red Rover, uh, it's probably not as well known as it used to be, but uh, Red Rover, kids on one side, uh, link arms and hold hands and then kids line up opposite them and hold hands. And, and the whole point of the game is one side will say Red Rover, Red Rover, and they'll call for somebody across on the other team in the other line to send them over and their job now is to bulldoze through that line. Their job is to break the chain. And if you're holding hands with somebody next to you, it is your job to knock them down as hard as you can. Like you are not letting go and you will take a kid out to have that chain broken. Like you are, uh, and, and the goal is that what's connected is not divided if you're on the team holding hands. And if you're on the opposite team, your goal is to separate. And can I just tell you what the devil knows about that verse I read to you at the beginning, that a house divided cannot stand. And yes, Jesus is talking about the enemy's kingdom divided against itself, but the enemy who is an author of lies, an author of division, knows that if he can take down a family, it'll be through division. 
If he can take down a marriage, it'll be dividing a household. If he can take down a group of people, it will be by sowing discord, strife, and division. And he'll use things as practical as the communication that we talked about two weeks ago. He'll use the differences. He'll use the, the, the even areas of disagreement to magnify and inflame because the enemy loves to divide and to separate. In fact, if you ever were one that was called on to cross to the other side and, and separate their hands, you're not looking for, I wouldn't be looking for Nick. I'm not looking for the strongest in the, in the line. I'm not looking for the biggest kid. I'm looking for the weak link. I, I'm just gonna be real. Like, I'm looking for the place. Oh, I can take that kid. <laughs> I, and you know what the enemy's doing? He's searching, looking for weak points in our relationships. He's looking for areas of hurt, of bitterness, of fears, of insecurities, of playing the blame game. He's looking for areas where he can wedge in and separate even in the most important relationships in our lives. And that's why building a healthy, strong, last week we really targeted this idea of toxic behaviors, toxic ideas, toxic relationships, and how to have those be healthy. Uh, but, but here's what I want you to see. When it comes down to our relationships, we have to recognize it's a battle for them. Many of us are fighting with people we're actually supposed to be fighting for. In fact, this word for division there that's used in that verse, how can a house divide it against itself? It's a Greek word that means to defer, to separate into parts, literally to cut into pieces and to divide into factions or parties, to sever by discord and actually put at variance with each other. That's why, what the enemy goes to war to do. He does it in marriages to separate. He does it in our families. He does it with parents and children. He does that in churches. He does that in nations. He does that in every area that he can get his hands in. Now, let's start with marriage. Matthew chapter 19, uh, the Pharisees again came to Jesus to test him. In verse three, it says, they came testing Jesus, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Here's what it says, for just any reason. What had happened was they had reduced and devalued marriage and the covenant of marriage so greatly that it didn't just take a real reason, it took any reason. And Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read he who made them at the beginning, made them male and female? Who would have thought that'd be the most controversial part of the Bible? Uh, verse five, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one, one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man, can I just add this? Let no devil in hell. Let no philosophy or idea, let no activity, hobby, let no hurt, let no addiction, let no one separate what God has joined together. And I believe that marriage led by God is something that is, it starts without foundation that God joins together. In fact, that word there literally means to be yoked together, united together, drawn together. And so here's what I know about uh, what God wants to do. He wants to join us together in a way that is life-giving in our marriages. But for every relationship in our life, do you know that the enemy brings people and God brings people? <laughs> Wisdoms to know the difference. That'd be a good message. I should just go there. Um, but you know that what God brings in your life, what God joins you to, 
the enemy will try to divide and will try to separate and he will try to create confusion and just all, all that junk. And so, so here's what we need to recognize. What are the God relationships in my life? What are the God moments? What are the God, uh, what has what, what God placed in my life that I need to fight with God for? What relationships do I need to protect? What relationships do I need to guard and stand in agreement with? What relationships do I need to be willing to lay down my agenda for so that I can actually grow that relationship to be healthy? I've counseled a lot of people as a pastor and I've seen that some couples aren't even united in their bank accounts, let alone their hearts. Listen, if you don't trust your spouse with their checkbook, how are you gonna trust them with your heart? Okay, that's a... I, I got like 50 sermons I could go preach, but here, here's what I want you to catch. We have to fight for unity. It takes work. Why? Because you are different. Because we, won't, we don't always agree. Um, Ephesians 4 is where I want to actually spend most of our, the rest of our time together. I've got a few points from this passage, but let me just read it first. Ephesians 4, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I then urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I love that he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. You know, when Paul wrote this, he was actually a captive as a actual prisoner for preaching the gospel. But you know what he says? He says, I'm not a prisoner for Rome. I'm not a prisoner of my circumstance, of my pain and my situation. No, he says, I'm captive by the Lord. Like I'm, I'm joined to him. That kind of person cannot be overcome. He says, I'm, I'm a prisoner, I'm a captive to Christ. And here's what he calls the church to do. He says, walk worthy of the calling with which you've received. If you're single, can I challenge you to walk worthy of the relationship that God will one day bring into your life? If you're married, walk worthy of the person that you committed in vows to, to love and to cherish. Walk worthy of the calling as a follower of Jesus, which you've received from God, for your family, for your city, for our nation. How to, here's how to walk worthy. He says in verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love and make every effort. Whoever thought relationships would not take effort, please read verse three. Make every effort to, take, to keep excuse me, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, verse seven, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Jump down to verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body Representative body of Christ, of Jesus, of him who is the head, that is Christ. From Jesus, the whole body joined and knit together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's unpack that. Uh, in verse one, he starts with a statement, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That doesn't mean live a perfect life. It doesn't mean leave a, lead a sinless life, a, a, a failure-free life, because all of us fall short. In fact, as I talk about relationships, uh, there's lots of areas where many times we go, man, I'm struggling in that area. I mean, I can't tell you how much feedback I got on the communication one. And I was the first in line. <laughs> we have areas that we need to grow. We need to be, in fact, I believe that God gave us relationships for this primary purpose. We think God gave us people to make us happy. And God, can I just tell you, God wants you 
fulfilled in life, happy, all of that's fine, but happiness is circumstantial. And there will be times you're not happy about it, but God gave you that relationship to make you holy, to grow you, to challenge you. God, put that person in your life who's not like you, who doesn't think like you, so that you have to grow. Because if it was just you all by yourself all the time, you could be comfortable in your own dysfunction. <laughs> but God puts people alongside of you that challenge you, that force you into growth. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. They don't force you into growth, but they create the opportunity for growth. Walk worthy of the calling. That starts with what I mentioned last week, that we live with values. And, and can I just say, when you stick to your values, as I challenged us to do last week, you will intentionally limit your choices. When you stick to your values, you limit your choices of what relationships are gonna be invested in the most, of what people you uh, romantically involve yourself with. Like there's values that will determine why, because of what this verse says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And when it comes to our relationships that we have, we need to do something. And, and I wanna give you this point number one, is we need to, for unity to take place, we need to stay together in purpose. Purpose. Not just on purpose, like we, yes, we've gotta work at it, but, but this idea, why would Paul say to start with this idea that we live life worthy of the calling? Because he wants to remind us that for our relationships to work, for us to be healthy, life-giving, grow together, experience all that God has for us, we've got to start with this idea. We have a purpose and a calling from God. Your marriage has a calling. Your individual life has a calling, yes, but your calling isn't just about you. In fact, it's not about you. It's about so many others around you. Your calling is about those that God will bring you, you uh, into interaction with on a daily basis. And so when we walk worthy of the calling, we're recognizing that we're going to stay together in purpose. And so I'll use my wife and I as an example. We started from day one. When we started dating, I sat down and said, here's what I believe God is calling me to do. And, and we talked about what she had in her heart. And, and we brought that together to be able to say, if we're going to join our lives together, we need to make sure we're going in the right direction. Together. Some people have never taken time because life is busy, things are crazy, kids show up, and man, that changes the whole game. And we haven't been able to sit down, some of us in years, and actually sit down and talk about what are you dreaming about? What do you want to see happen? What do you want, where, what direction is our family going? What do you see in this relationship? And, and we don't take time to actually write it down and pray about it together and invest in each other. I love the story of Joseph and Mary where Joseph literally lays down every plan he has because of what his wife carries. And think about how many times there's something that God has put inside of our spouse or in our relationships, even in our kids is what we're giving our kids our plan for their lives or have we been willing to say, God, what do you want for them? <laughs> Some of our relationships, unfortunately, become defined by past pain. I dealt with pain a lot last week, but this is important. We live by pain instead of values. And here's what I know. If we don't find out the purpose of the relationships in our life, the calling from God, the word from God, God has a word for your marriage. God has a word for your future. If you're single, God has a word for your, 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 your season of life. God has a word for you. And every season of life, we can either live by a wound or a word. We have that choice. If you live by a word, you will move forward. If you live by a wound, you'll stay stuck. 
If you live by a word, you'll be set free. But if you live by a wound, you'll build those unhealthy boundaries we talked about last week and you'll actually keep your life from moving forward. And this is why this is so absolutely vital. I'm a pastor. I spent a lot of my life thinking about and studying and getting around people that are, that are reaching the world, that are building healthy churches, building healthy marriages. I wanna learn from them. I wanna get around that. And you know what I found is a common denominator is that when things are healthy in a family, in a marriage, and even in a church, it's when it's built on a word, not a wound. I can't tell you how many church governments are built around. Well, this happened, went bad, so we, we, we set up a new program. <laughs> And how many times do we create stuff that actually keeps us from moving forward out of woundedness and out of pain instead of allowing God's love to fill us so much that it heals us and moves us forward? Here's the problem with pain. You will always look at others through the lens of the pain that you've received. Matthew 10, verse 14. Here's my encouragement to anybody who's walked through. And can I just tell you, we've all had pain. I've had pain. I've had to carry this and I've had to walk in this. What, what I'm gonna to read to you in this next couple of verses, in Matthew 10, 14, whoever will not receive you or hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Now he's talking to the disciples. He sends them out uh, in all these places through Galilee and to preach the word of God. And, and some of the towns receive him and some of them, of, of them don't. And, and here's what he says. Um, and of course, there's, there's a prophetic side to what they're doing. Uh, but I also believe it's, it's, it's a picture. He says, don't, Shake off the dust off your sandals. Now it was to be a sign to those that, that have rejected the good news of Jesus, all that. But here's what it also is. You can't take the dirt from this city to the next one. You can't take the rejection of this season into the next one. Shake the dust. Now, when it comes to our relationships, some of us are still carrying dust from a previous marriage, a previous dating relationship, a family member, a parent, and we're carrying dust into this season that's actually affecting our current situation. And it's time to shake the dust. Do you know what that's gonna mean? It's gonna mean that there's gonna have to be some releasing. There's gonna have to be some forgiving. And I know it's hard to forgive. I do know. In fact, I believe without God's help, it's impossible. The greater the pain, the harder it is sometimes to forgive. But here's what I know. God's grace is sufficient because we've been forgiven so much. Uh, the disciples, in fact, this is how hard this was for the disciples. Uh, Luke 17, three. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, correct them. If they repent, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in a day, I mean, I've had some rough days, but I don't know if I've had... Seven times in one day. But here's what he says. If it happens seven times in a day, seven times come back to you. And they come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. And I love what verse five says. The apostles who have been called by Jesus to go heal the sick, cast out demons, you know, raise the dead, do all the stuff that Jesus does. They never once said, okay, Jesus, what you just told us to do is like impossible. Can you increase our faith? But they did right here. He says, forgive somebody who's hurt you. Lord Jesus, verse five, increase our faith. <laughs> In other words, we don't have a problem with, you wanna go send us out to do miracles, but you want us to do what? You want us to forgive those who've hurt us? Shake the dust off, move forward, release the pain, uh, reconcile relationships that need to be or can be reconciled. Like that's, that's important. And when it comes down to your most important relationships, it's, it's, it's vital that you don't hold on to old hurts. 
Whoever said love is not having to say you're sorry was not married and probably has never met another human being. We need to build bridges as we forgive. We need to dream together. Do you know where you're going? Not only your life, but do you know where your family's going? Do you know the direction? Do you know the calling? Has, do you live based on a wound or do you live based on a word? Where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, people perish. I'll just add this, where there's no vision, relationships perish too. If there's no future, not only, not only where there's no future, do I not dream with my spouse or with, my, with those closest to me? I mean, you need some friends. You need some people around you that are gonna dream with God for you. They're gonna encourage you and say, you know what? I know that last season was tough, but God's got this and you have a purpose and you have a calling and we're gonna do this together. Somebody to lift you when you're hurting. Like we all need people alongside of us that can remind us of the word. They can say, this is what God says. This is what I see in you. This is where you're going. The, the, the New King James version of this says, where there's no revelation of God or revelation, people cast off restraint. I've told you many times, when you don't live with a future in mind, you'll always go back to your past. You'll always regress, you'll always turn back. But when you stay together in purpose, you intentionally make decisions to say, we're going to move forward and we're gonna make decisions and we're going to decide things together and we are gonna pray together as a married couple and we are gonna have people in our life that speak into our life and we're gonna do the same for others. Number two is we need to do the next thing because relationships, all relationships, including your relationship with God will be tested at some point. And apparently sometimes seven times a day, but, but we need to commit to each other. Number two, we need to commit to each other. Going back to Ephesians 4, uh, each one of us, to each one of us, grace was given. So all of us have different grace. It all comes from Jesus. We're all different. But the beauty is we can be different and together. <laughs> So, so I already told you, unity is not being the same, thinking the same, but it is being willing to take what we have different and bring it together for the sake of advancing together. The reason God puts you together in your marriage is actually for this very reason, because you're different. Because you need each other. Because God wants to reveal himself in and through your spouse to you. God wants to reveal his heart as a father through you as a parent to your kids. And, and he wants to reveal it, it, through all of us to our relationships to represent Jesus. And he gave us several keys. He said, be patient and humble and all those things. And I know humility is a tough thing to understand many times because we think humility is weakness. But humility is actually strength under control. The most humble person on, in, on, on planet earth ever was when Jesus walked the earth and he did not revile in return. And even at his trial, as they accused him and mocked him and shouted, crucify him, Jesus could have called a legion of angels. He had power, he had strength, but he actually had it under control. Humility is strength under control to recognize what is needed in relationship, what matters. Uh, let me just give some practical uh, marriage counseling for a second. There's actually five things, five things that are a stressor on a marriage. And these things can affect other relationships in different areas of our life, but especially in marriage. These are the five biggest stressors. Uh, the first one is, uh, is obvious, communication. We talked about that. Um, <laughs> I don't have to restate how communication can create conflict. Um, 
Here's another one that may be obvious, uh, money. One person has money, one person spends money. <laughs> or maybe one person's a saver and one person's a spender and, 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 and you have different ways of approaching it. Here's the problem, with both people in a marriage are spenders. <laughs> then what are you, happy and broke, okay. Um, Having children, children are a blessing from God, but they do create, can bring stressors into a marriage. And that's why it's important that we have, the best thing I can do for my kids is love my wife. Did, did you hear me? The best thing I can do for my kids is love their mom well. Yes. To, to represent what God's love looks like to her. Uh, here's another one, and, and there's just two more. Uh, in-laws. <laughs> why are you laughing? Um, it's, it's funny, the expectations and the things that happen, in, in, especially around you know, families and what, what used to be important for one family. And, and, and listen, uh, family's a part of our life forever. Do you know, the Bible says this, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You're starting a new family. My kids one day will get married and have, start a new family. They're still part of my family, but they have a new family. And as a parent, my job is to support that. Keep that strong. Uh, okay. Some of y'all lost you with the cinnamon rolls. Some of y'all lost you with the releasing your kids. Um, uh, my wife and I uh, have, a, have, have two challenges, if I'm just gonna be honest and transparent. The first one is I've never been right about a parking space since I've been married. We're, we're gonna be married 17 years this summer. And, and no matter which one I pick, it's the wrong one. I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> she'll hear this in the next two services. She's getting the kids right now. Uh, so, so this is not behind her back. Uh, she, <laughs> she knows this well. Uh, so whatever parking space I've decided, even if it looks like the best one, I know I'm wrong. So, so that's, um, <laughs> if a man is alone in the woods, is he still wrong? Anybody ever? Okay. Um, the other one I found out when we were driving, both of these involved the car. I don't know why. Um, the other one is when we would go somewhere, and, and I learned the difference between driving with a, a, a guy in the, in the passenger seat and driving with my wife, who I love, and, and, and she loves me. Uh, but I found out, like, if, a guy, if I'm driving with a guy and he goes, hey, uh, dude, you missed the turn. You're supposed to turn left back there. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. And then that's the end of the conversation. But if I miss a turn, we're going to a date, we're going out, and I miss that turn, why did you turn left when you should have turned right? And I go, I, I just missed it, a habit, I always go this way. She says, why? <laughs> like, I, I, you know what? Actually, let me tell you why. I was plotting that I would go the wrong, like it was, it was I, I prepared for this, and, and, and I'm just, you know, why did you turn left? And, and then the next thing is, I don't even wanna go anymore. None of you have ever had that happen. And I'm like, no, I, I, all I have to do is a U-turn. Like, I just need to turn around. It's okay, I got a headache. Let's just go home. Okay. Marriage counseling's free today. You know what? There's no unity without proximity. There's no unity without proximity. I hear people say, well, we've just grown apart. No, nobody grows apart, but we do drift apart. That's why proximity's vital, we have to intentionally come together. We need to intentionally spend time together. We need to intentionally, I know couples who have been married 18 years and don't sleep in the same room. And everything else in their life may be going great, 
but, but they've, they've allowed a disconnection at some point. Now, maybe it's because one of them snores. Figure it out. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, this is practical because I've had so many people not make those decisions. Maybe the, everything was invested in the kids and they never made time together. And because they didn't make time together, one day the kids will move out. Thank you, Jesus. They will one day move out. And when that happens, you have to actually have a relationship with your spouse that is strong and healthy. And you got to have proximity and make intentional choices. And that's true of every relationship that matters in our lives. We need to take time to draw close. We need to take time to be with each other. We need to take time to establish the priorities. And I know some seasons are busier than others. When our kids were little, man, it was hard to have date night. When our, when, there was all these different things, but you have to make intentional choices to build closeness together. Some people say, well, my marriage just won't work. And I know there's situations, I wanna be sensitive to things that are very hard for us, that are very real and very difficult. But can I just tell you, your marriage can work if you both will work on it. If you both will take that time. And the best time to work on your marriage is before you have to. It's not automatic and it's not always warm, fuzzy feelings, but it is about us growing healthy, closer, and pointing us to Jesus. The last two points, number three, is we need to, for unity to take place, we need to serve selflessly. All I need to do to mess up my relationships is be all about what I want all the time. Here's what he said, be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. That word love is a special, powerful, important word. The Bible definition of love is a sacrificial love. It's a love of a, not a feeling, but a choice. And it's actually a love that represents God's love towards us. There's several Greek words for love. I won't get into all of them. One of them deals with romantic love, eros. The other one is phileo. So we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Like it's that friendship, that affection, that closeness. Uh, we, we have friends, we have family that we love and value and, and invest in that. But there's something higher than all of those. And it's what Jesus used, a word called agape. And it's a word that's a decision to love. It's to see the value in others, like we talked about last week, and so be captured by that value that you're willing to lay it down, lay everything down for that person. We see that love modeled for us in Christ who gave everything for us, not while we deserved it, not while we even wanted him, but while we were sinners, while we were running, while we were pushing God away, God said, here's how much I agape love you. I'm sending my son Jesus to pay the price. That's what makes making every effort possible because sometimes it's gonna involve us selflessly choosing to value and see the best in that person, to serve the others around us instead of just being served, instead of just being about what we want, we're willing to ask our spouse, we're willing to ask our kids. You know, so many of us think we're doing great. Have you ever taken time to be honest and real and transparent enough to just ask your wife, how, are, how am I doing? To ask your kids even, how am I doing? And they may just say, we want more ice cream. <laughs> no. But have you ever been willing to ask those hard questions to allow them to speak into what they need? Because maybe what you think they need is what they don't really need. And so we need to have a self-sacrificial love that we serve one another. In fact, Galatians says it this way. I'm almost done. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Just don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh 
In other words, don't just live for yourself and what your flesh wants, what you want all the time. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The entire law, the whole Testament, the Bible is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. In other words, we need to serve others selfish, selflessly. All I need to do to fight with my spouse is to just be selfish. If I'm going to fight for my spouse, it's gonna take selflessness. If I'm gonna fight for those most important relationships, I'm gonna have to learn and with God's help every day to become more and more selfless. And that's only possible by receiving God's love for me. Because here's why we, I think, become selfish instead of selfless. We become centered on us and what we need. And we look for others to complete something in us. If I always think about what I'm not being given or what others are not doing for me or how I'm not loved enough by others, I'm going to live from a deficit. I'm gonna live from an empty tank and I'm gonna expect others to fill. But if I go to Jesus first, if I go to God first and receive my identity and purpose and and significance and value, like we talked about last week, in Christ, here's what happens. I don't need that person to completely, but complete me. Now I can serve them in love. It's hard to serve somebody freely, lovingly, when you need something from them. So love looks like this. It looks like the decision to see the value in others, to lay our own agenda down, to receive from God what we need, because I can't give what I don't have. Some of us are saying, well, I, I can't. I'd, love, I'd want to love them. I'd want to be better at this, but I just don't have anything left to give. I think the key there is we have to first receive it from God. The fourth and final point is actually where all this comes together. It's to keep Jesus first in our relationships. In fact, I think the reason why agreement with each other is not the key to unity, here's the key. What does he say? There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord. He goes on one faith, one baptism, but there's one Lord. So if I'm gonna be united in my marriage, let's just say that because that's where I'm spending a lot of the focus, but it's true in every relationship, especially when that person has a relationship with Jesus. The key to us having unity is us first going to Jesus, us first going to God. James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. What's the key? It's not resisting the devil, that's secondary. The first thing is first surrendering to God. I know submission, humility, all those things are like things that we just recoil against in our culture, but they're biblical values. And if I'm gonna have healthy, life-giving relationships, I have to first surrender to God. I have to first allow God to fill my life with his unconditional love. I have to receive from him what I need and put my relationships in the proper order in my life where I'm not trying to get from my kids or from my uh, friends or even from my spouse what I need to first and foremost and only get from God. There's actually a counterfeit to unity, it's control. And control happens in a relationship whenever I have a fear that I don't surrender to Jesus. But what if we actually allowed him to be Lord in our relationship? And then it's no longer about who's right. (laughs) Proving my point. I meant to turn left. 
but we actually say, I'm gonna give this to Jesus, everything to Jesus, and I'm gonna surrender it all to him. Do you know what happens when we do this? The psalmist wrote about unity. He says, when people dwell together in unity, God commands the blessing there. What if the key to seeing your marriage become all that God wants it to be is maybe being willing to humble yourself and say, God, I need your help. God, I need you. And I need you to be Lord in my life. I've been doing this a long time. I've counseled a lot of couples. And in that time, I've always pointed them first. You've got to, before your spouse changes, you've got to get with Jesus. You got to get that healthy. Get that where it's supposed to be because they won't complete you. Sometimes they'll hurt you and sometimes they'll say the wrong thing and you'll do the same for them. But do you know what I know? If we have Jesus at the center of our relationship, there's always the possibility for healing. He brings us back to forgiveness. He, he calls us higher in the way we treat each other. He brings us back to his purpose to say your marriage is more than just a tax status, but it's a covenant that God says, I bless and I'm fighting for. Why do you think the devil wants to fight it so bad? Because he knows how dangerous it is. He knows how dangerous to the darkness a redeemed, not a perfect, but a redeemed, restored, and submitted to Jesus marriage and relationship and friendship can become. Whatever it is, when we take those things to Jesus and put him at the center, God says, I command blessing there. Like, I can't help myself. I'm gonna fight for them. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Prayer team, if you come to the front. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. And I know in our lives there's people that we Church, want that relationship to be better. Or visit us at River City Church. It's hard because they aren't willing to do their part. Here's what I know. If I'll start with what I can control and what I can change, I'm creating.